Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, about what it means to show up in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics, rising authoritarianism, and racial capitalism? And if beauty isn't something we encounter, but something we become, then what beauty can be found in our resistance? I'm Brigitte Vieira, I use she, her pronouns, and I am a candidate for ordained ministry in the Unitarian Universalist faith tradition. And I also have the honor and joy of being a faith organizing intern with showing up for racial justice or surge. And I live in a place currently called Phoenix, Arizona, in the homelands of the Hohokam people who stewarded the Valley of the Sun for many, many generations. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith, and it is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. Because we believe that white Christians have a responsibility in committing ourselves to resisting white supremacy, which means speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy wherever we may find it, which includes in the Christian tradition. And we do this because our very lives depend on it. And we also do this work remembering that we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado, in December 2014, led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. And we are so deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for this podcast. The word is resistance. It is good to be together, beloveds, and it is Palm Sunday. My paternal family comes from a Mexican immigrant background, and my maternal family lines travel all the way back to Ireland. So growing up, the container that could lovingly hold both cultures in the same space, where translation was not necessarily needed, was in Catholicism. And as a young girl, I loved attending Mass. The incense, the candles, the kneeling in the pews. For me, Mass was full of mystical ritualism that held both mystery and beauty. And one of my favorite times of the year was the special Palm Sunday Mass that was part of Holy Week. Because on this special day, I would get a green palm frond or leaf of a palm tree, and it felt 
extra special to me because it was blessed and would be carried in a ritual procession into the church. I noticed that some people around me would actually fold their palm branch into a small cross as a personal devotion practice. But I always like to keep mine crisp and straight, and I used to imagine that I would be there joyfully singing Hosanna as part of the celebration of Jesus's triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. And I can still picture myself as an eight-year-old little one wearing a Sunday dress with tights to keep my legs warm at a Palm Sunday Mass. The story told me that on this day, that it was a day of celebration. And at my private Catholic school, I learned in catechism, the religious education classes I had, that Palm Sunday was a happy day because Jesus came to save us. Palm Sunday was presented to me in my coloring book pages as this grand parade for a gentle and peaceful loving king. And I do love me a parade, even to this day. It was not until much, much later in my adult years that I came to understand that Palm Sunday was not a celebration, that it was a confrontation. Not a parade, but a protest. So in deep gratitude to this podcast and to my seminary studies, I now understand that Jesus's procession into Jerusalem as a lead up to Passover was actually an anti-imperial demonstration in the capital city, and that it was deliberately prepared as a meticulous love practice of resistance. And that on the other side of the city, there was an armed Roman military parade with weaponry and chariots to signal authoritarian power and also to intimidate anyone who might counter its legitimacy. Jesus lived in a time when the oppressive regime of Rome was at its height and his community was under occupation and constantly subjected to exploitation. This Lenten season, we are critically excavating the ways in which the lectionary texts have been violently weaponized to push anti-Judaism and this idea that Christianity, quote, supersedes or surpasses or even replaces Judaism because of its supposed flaws. But we know, beloveds, that Jews did not kill Jesus. Roman colonizers did. And the Palm Sunday story is about how the state tried to suppress and repress any and all Jewish resistance. As a practitioner and participant in strategies of resistance, I now find myself with other questions. Questions like, who does this traditional telling of Palm Sunday being a parade actually serve? And whose power does it preserve? The empire, of course. We know this because one of the empire's stealthy moves is to sanitize the stories we tell and to scapegoat others to take the blame to quell any uprisings against the state. So when I reflect 
on just how strategic the messaging I received was, that Palm Sunday was a celebratory parade, not a confrontational protest. I feel so angry. I also feel gaslit. And I even feel embarrassed. But this too is the tactic of empire, because stories of subversive acts of resistance are so threatening. And that's because the power of the state is only legitimate when people obey. And it is in the empire's best interest to scapegoat who really killed Jesus and to socialize me into a complicit role of being conforming and compliant, quote, good little girl, who will not defect if I want to keep my status. This traditional celebratory reading of this week's text is not only a maneuver of deception, it also is in no way a useful spiritual resource for me if I am called to co-build a more just and liberating world with you all. So, I'm hoping that together we can take out the theological trash of the story I inherited and compost it into something new. So to do this, I'm inviting you to revisit the Palm Sunday story with me. And I'm hoping that together we can go looking for an alternative symbol, something other than the celebratory palm branch that can be used as part of our tools for resistance. So, I invite you now to get comfortable as best you can. Breathe in and back out. Tune into your body wherever and however you are listening to this podcast. And on the inhale, notice the way your rib cage expands. And now feel the air Leave your nostrils on the exhale. And as I read Matthew 21, 1 through 11, I invite you to notice what are the sights, the sounds, and the smells in this story? And I also ask that you trust those images that are calling you into a counter-narrative. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, in most of the progressive religious spaces that I float in, I've been asked to consider in the Palm Sunday reading where I would be located in the story. Would I be on the side of resistance or on the side of the Romans? And this thought experiment, it usually results in me feeling some sort of sneaky self-righteousness because of course I am on the side of resistance. But when I really sit in that tension and really ask myself, where would I really be? Things feel more murky. I find myself trying to imagine, where would I be in the story of Palm Sunday? Would I be a street medic ready to offer first aid at the protest? Maybe I'd be leading a favorite chant to keep morale high. Or perhaps I'd be one of the people peeking through the curtains of my home to see what all the commotion on the street was about. You see, the thing is, I don't actually find these thought experiments to be particularly resourceful for me as a white person because they're too hypothetical. And with this framing, I often notice that I can too conveniently keep myself safely distanced from experiencing any real discomfort as part of what it means to practice principled resistance. And as a white person in the United States, I have tremendous political power, which means that in the New Testament, I'd likely be a Roman, not a Jew under Roman imperial occupation who throws my cloak down. I'd probably be a Roman experiencing tremendous discomfort by learning just how risky it is to divest in my power and effect from my whiteness. For we know that the people who benefit from Rome's protection, when they defect, Rome turns on them too. I say all this because when I am being really honest with myself, I am forced to recognize that resistance work is full of complexity and contradiction. For there are times in my life where I find myself paradoxically on so many sides. Sometimes I find myself stuck in fear and held captive by the myth of scarcity. But other times I am inspired by a more life-giving ethic of abundance. Some days I can feel humbled when I'm engaging in the real work of what it means to be in solidarity. And other days I find myself with this 
ego-driven false superiority that I am, quote, one of the good ones. And there are moments when I really actively challenge the oppressive system, but there are also other times when I find myself passively complying with the ways the system bestows me with benefits. So for me, trying to locate myself in a story to pick a side, it lets me off the hook a little too easily. And picking a side also reinforces the false binaries in our movement work. The very binaries of good and bad, us and them, self and other, These are the logics of imperialism that keep me divided and out of meaningful, robust relationships with myself and with others. So in the Palm Sunday story, for me, it's less about what side I am on and more about how I am mobilized into taking a position of public, expressive, full-bodied solidarity in action with the very Jewish Jesus movement as a co-citizen for an alternative kingdom. What is it about the Palm Sunday story that can move me beyond thought experiments and into deeper engagement with what it means to be a person of resistance? Where is it in the story where I feel the most mobilized? And where is it in the story that most captured your attention. In today's reading, there is one detail that demands my attention the most. And it's somehow very fitting for me that it has nothing to do with any of the humans in the story. And that's because it is the donkey. In the Palm Sunday story, we have a donkey and a colt, and both of them are tied up. So to do the work of justice and liberation, these animals must be untied. And it is here, in this detail of the narrative, where I find myself a more powerful symbol for my work in resistance, where I can more fully tap into the spiritual resourcing that is needed for me to find my shared interest in joining the movement. What do I need to do? What can I do to put my ass on the line in building a new world? I find that Palm Sunday can actually hold me accountable in asking me some hard questions about the donkey. For example, what are the ways in which I am simply covering my ass to save face? For me, I think this starts with getting honest about what keeps me tied down from doing the real work of justice making. Sometimes it's anxiety I can get tied down by the anxious worry that I'm going to mess up, that I am going to say the wrong thing. So I'll read all these books or listen to more podcasts to keep me, quote, in the know. But what I really mean is I'm just trying to stay in my intellectualized head 
and out of my body that is feeling the fear that will accompany this work. Other times what keeps me tied down is guilt. The kind of guilt that can calcify me into stagnant inaction and even self-absorption. And the Palm Sunday story can also hold me accountable about asking another hard question about the donkey. How do I untie myself from the oppressive systems that are conspiring and colluding all around my community so that I can more fully participate in the work of resistance? What puts my ass on the line to co-build a movement that will get us all free? In this season of my faith organizing life, what gets my donkey or my ass mobilized in the movement are three things I want to share with you today. Rage, grief, and rest, which I tend to rinse and repeat a lot. Rage, grief, and rest. One of the newer emotions I am learning to trust in the work we are called to do is rage. And I'm talking about a holy rage. Anger as an invitation to open me up to blessed unrest where wisdom can emerge. Anger unties me to put my ass on the line for liberation because it breaks me out of the numbness that empire requires for me to stay silent, small, and complicit with the status quo. Anger unties me by giving voice to the prophetic guide inside. And then there's grief. Ah, grief. Grief is my most spiritually trustworthy gift that unties me and mobilizes me into movement work. And I think that's because for me, grief is an extension of love. Slowing down to lament, to share anguish, and interrogate the suffering all around me brings me back into an honest relationship with myself and with others. Grief unties me so that I can become realigned and reconfigured for the long haul that this work requires. And then there's rest. Rest from the grind culture that keeps me exhausted in the vicious cycle of intergenerational and collective trauma. Rest unties me from the machinery of empire. It's a type of deprogramming from the violent messaging I have received that my body belongs to a system and is only worthy when it's producing or doing. Rest as an embodied work of refusal unties me from the empire's exploitive systems. And there's one more thing. I can't help but notice then I am not able to untie myself all by myself. The Palm Sunday story can hold me accountable in making sure that I surround myself with other donkeys, for I need others to come along and untie me too. And I like to think of these people as the badasses of my resistance life. Yeah, the badasses in our community. I come from a long lineage of organizers, volunteers, coalitions, and activists who have been fighting tirelessly for collective liberation. And when I am reminded of this long legacy, a shift 
deep inside happens. I become untied and migrate from feeling doubtful about the future to being energized to make a difference. From feeling isolated and alone to connected in collective power. So, beloveds, let us all take a moment to imagine how the donkey in the Palm Sunday story invites us into so many possibilities. Let us take a moment to notice what badasses are beside us in this work. And let us take a moment to ask ourselves on this Palm Sunday, not what side we would be on, but how we will put our asses on the line for building a new world. The Lord needs them, our story says about the donkey and the colt. And we need one another too. For embracing possibility is not just about having faith, it's also about gathering power, taking risks with one another, untying one another to set ourselves free because none of us resist alone. May we go forth in just love, being reminded that the path of resistance may be daunting, contradictory, and scary at times, but we do not travel these paths alone. Together, may we untie ourselves and one another to provoke and convoke justice in building a new world. Blessed be and amen. Who are the badasses that made resistance possible for you? The people who help you untie yourself from the empire's grip towards love and liberation. We all have someone. This week's call to action is to weave gratitude into your resistance practice by finding a way to tell one of the badasses in our movement work a big thank you. It might be a letter, an email, a text, a gift, or even a face-to-face conversation over coffee. Whatever it is, find a way to tell them how they made your resistance possible. Tell them where they helped untie you. Because the work of resistance is not only about courage, it is also about connection. So thank you for joining us for another episode. We would love to hear from you especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks, by filling out the listener survey on our podcast page at surge.org. And consider giving us a like or rating us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our podcast. And of course, you can find out more about Surge at surge.org. And our podcast lives on SoundCloud. All you need to do is search The Word is Resistance. And transcripts are also available as well as on our website, which includes references, resources, and action links. And don't worry, because we will be back soon with a resistance word from Kelsey BB for Good Friday. And of course, a huge shout out and thank you to our sound editor, Claire Hitchens. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist citizenship. For all that you do to practice the courage of conviction, 
in your resistance to build up a new world. Go forth in just love and go forth in liberation. Be well, beloveds. Build it.